We hope you enjoy this episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast. But first, an important message for our listeners. Hi there, listeners. I'm Bailey Tarazio, the owner of Modern Law, and I'm here to talk to you about something that I believe can truly make a difference in people's lives. At Modern Law, we're all about helping individuals navigate the complexities of family law, and sometimes that involves dealing with alcohol-related issues. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Soberlink, our trusted partner and sponsor of the Modern Divorce Podcast. From real-time alcohol testing to its sleek and portable design, the tech of this device is top-notch. Facial recognition, tamper-proof results that are accurate and honest. This device can be court-ordered or by listening today, you can receive $50 off your device by going to soberlink.com forward slash modern. I stand by Soberlink because it works. I've seen it make a positive impact on countless lives. It's not just a device, it's a lifeline for those on their journey to recovery. We believe in empowering individuals to make positive changes in their lives. Soberlink is an invaluable partner on that journey and I'm proud to endorse it. Again, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash modern for $50 off your device and to learn more. I am joined today by Lisa Ziderman, partner at Miller Ziderman LLP, New York attorney. And today we've got a fascinating topic that we're going to talk about financial abuse. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Billy. Absolutely. I'm happy to have you here. So tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. So I actually started my firm 10 years ago. It's now 10 years plus. And we are a firm located in Manhattan and in Westchester. And we are 20 plus attorneys, 24 attorneys, actually, um, who focus on matrimonial and family law. Prior to being a matrimonial attorney, I had gone through my own divorce. And prior to that, I had been in the fashion business, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So um, a little bit of a windy road, but I, um, I'm here now and very focused on helping people get through their divorces and custody um, issues, et cetera. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So talk to me about how you would define financial abuse first. Sure. So, uh, you know, we see financial abuse as literally um, a, a person not having access to the finances. And that means not just being able to have access to the actual um, dollars, okay, but also not having transparency as to what there is in terms of resources. So not having access to financial statements or access to the credit card statements or to the banking statements, retirement statements, not actually being able to understand or see the tax returns. They may be given a tax return to sign, but they are um, maybe given only the signature page and not the entire tax return. So it is about access and transparency and frankly, the lack thereof and control. And the control being that um, someone is trying to control you and they are doing that by controlling your access to finances and to the information regarding your finances. Sure. So is that illegal? So it's not illegal. 
it, it may be abusive. And as a result of being abusive, it may actually be something that in during a divorce is an issue and may be an issue in terms of how finances are divided. But it is not necessarily illegal. Um, it could be something that could have been resolved legally if someone had actually entered into a prenup or a postnup or one of those types of agreements. But it isn't illegal for your spouse to be putting his or her income into his or her account. It isn't illegal for them to um, be cutting credit cards off, et cetera, unless, of course, you're proceeding through a divorce. And then there may be um, automatic orders, et cetera, that make it illegal for them to actually cut you off or to move assets or to do some of those things. Um, but you know, this is why you need to be on the same page with your spouse and understand that this is a financial partnership because it's not necessarily whether it's legal or not, it's whether it's appropriate or not. And it's definitely not appropriate. Sure, right. Um, but what if this is just how a couple does things? They just keep things separate. This is just how they operate. So it's not just about keeping them separate, right? It is it, If you and your spouse have decided you're going to keep your finances separate, Mm -hmm. And you've made that decision consciously mm -hmm. and you have your accounts and your spouse's their accounts. Well, that's fine. And that's your decision of how you're going to run your household. Mm -hmm. The issue becomes, and remember we talked about control, when mm -hmm. one spouse determines that this is how they're going to operate and the other spouse is not on board, mm -hmm. then this can become an issue of abuse, mm -hmm. right? So if one spouse determines that I'm going to not only put my income into to the account, but maybe I'm taking your income also, and then I'm going to give you what I deem to be the allowance, okay? If you don't find that acceptable, Mm -hmm. Or even if perhaps you've come to the to the point where you're willing to go along with it because you feel that you have no choice, mm -hmm. that is when it becomes abusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I love about having lawyers on from other jurisdictions is talking about how your jurisdiction handles this issue versus how Arizona handles this issue. Because I'll tell you, in Arizona, if you don't like the way your spouse handles money, your option is to leave. That's basically the option in New York too. Okay. That's exactly right. And, and many times people come to us years later and they say, this has gone on for so many years. And we say, well, why didn't you leave? Right. Sure. So that may be the option. The problem with financial abuse is that somebody may not have that option to leave. Right. right. Somebody may not be in that situation where they can leave because they just don't even have the financial wherewithal to actually walk out the door right. and or or to go get an attorney or to um, do any of those you know things. So it may be a situation where they are being physically or emotionally abused because they are in such a, a situation where they are being financially abused and left with no no choice but to frankly put up with that with that those other forms of abuse right. so it's not that um new york is any different than arizona in the sense that yes your option is to leave the problem is you may not be able to leave right and so in arizona financial abuse might be considered by a judge um, along with other forms of abuse but i don't think in arizona that a judge would even care about financial abuse absent other evidence of abuse. Is that similar to what you've experienced? So it is similar to what we're, we have experienced. However, 
I believe that there is now much more information and there is starting to be legislation in New York about financial Ooh. abuse. So, you know, it's not that many years ago, which is only a few years ago, actually, where um, support and equitable distribution and 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 the issue of physical or emotional abuse um, became linked together. And that um, one of the considerations, one of the factors in equitable distribution and spousal support is whether abuse has occurred. Wow. So I think that, um, you know, we are now on that, that particular road. And I think that the next, I, I believe this, that the next thing that people will look at is this issue of financial abuse. Look, you know, I, I have cases where people make millions and millions of dollars. And frankly, then they aren't helpful to their spouses who may be going through forms of cancer or um, having to take care of the children or cutting them off. Right. And yet, I, you know, what what other kinds of what worst kind of abuse can there be at that point? Um, yes, we are not talking about somebody who's taking a sledgehammer and and hitting somebody over the head, which used to be, by the way, you know, even that might not have risen to the level of more spousal support or equitable mm-hmm, distribution. Mm-hmm, but the courts mm-hmm. have, have started to change that. And now it doesn't need to be the sledgehammer or something worse. And so I think financial abuse is, is now um, much more of a discussion point. And I also think it will be much more of a um, discussion point in the courthouses as well, and likely will become a factor in the future. That is so interesting and very, very different than how our jurisdiction treats these issues. So in Arizona, it's no fault. Property is divided without regards to fault per statute. So even if we can prove that someone created physical damage or caused damages, we are not able to get a different um, division of property based on grounds of fault. So tell me, go ahead. So it's not fault that actually we are looking at because we are a no fault state as well. However, it is, um, there is definitely something now in the statute where we are looking at abuse because that abuse may have actually caused someone not to be able to work or not to be able to, to, um, you know, grow in terms of, of a career, et cetera. And so, yes, that is now a factor that the court is looking at, not so much as as grounds for divorce, okay, mm-hmm. which is fault in my mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But more as a very targeted um, way of, of looking at this particular issue, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting idea because in Arizona, we've got the statute that says properties divided without regards to fault or misconduct um, equitably. We're a community property state. You guys are not community, right? We are not community property. Okay. But nevertheless, the law still says that equitable is not always equal and it might not be equal if you can show why. And it would be very interesting to present what are other jurisdictions doing with regards to equitability when there is abuse. Yep. And I I, I agree. And um, domestic violence is definitely now being looked at as part of that in New York. Wow. Okay. So tell me a little bit, give me some examples of what you're seeing. Well, we, we, you know, this is the very beginning stages. Okay. And keep in mind that we went through COVID. So there was a lot of backlog in terms of the court system because of COVID. But I think generally the courts are starting to look at what was the domestic violence? Was somebody unable to build a career, to go back to school, to, you know, to even, um, 
get out of the house. Okay. What was the domestic violence that we're talking about? Was somebody really beaten up or um, verbally abused to the point where there is post-traumatic stress disorders, et cetera. And the court will look at that and they will perhaps adjust equitable distribution upward or downward as the case may be, or give more spousal support um, because these are factors that the court must look at. Okay. So what are the, um, what is the specific factor? So this specific factor would be actually domestic violence. Got it. That, Got that it. is the factor. Okay. Very interesting. Now talk to me about spousal maintenance. How is spousal maintenance determined? And do you call it spousal maintenance? We do. We call it spousal maintenance, spousal support. Um, sure. We call it alimony still in New York too. Um, but essentially it is determined based upon a series of factors, including the age, the health of the parties, um, You know whether one party has, um, has basically... Um, given up a career for to to support other people in the household, perhaps um, you know, pair elderly parents, etc. Um, key items such as the lifestyle. Lifestyle is very very important in terms of determining um, spousal support. What were the parties' lifestyles? What's the income and the earning potential for each of the parties? These are all the different factors, and there's actually a series of factors. Um, these are all factors that the court looks at. Um, in determining spousal support, the length of the marriage, that's very important um, in determining the duration of spousal support. So those are all important factors. Okay. So one interesting thing is we had the same thing up until about a year ago. And what is, yeah, it was, it was roughly a year ago that our, our statute changed and um, the statute directed the courts to come up with guidelines. And we now have a calculator that is just like the child support calculator that only looks at income of party one, income of party two, family size, and what's the principal payment on your house. That's it. And then it spits out this range. And in Arizona, we are now required to submit the spousal maintenance calculator with every single decree, just like we would spousal support. Or child support. And the reason I think that this happened is because even though we had all these factors, the same factors that you're describing, we found judges were ordering smaller and smaller and fewer and fewer years of spousal maintenance. So tell me about what you're seeing judges do with spousal maintenance orders when they have that huge discretion. So it, it's so let me just be clear. We also have that calculator. Oh. And yes, we do. Okay, so we have the calculator. However, and this is where um, the lifestyle is so important. Um, we also, in addition to that, the court has the discretion to go above and beyond the um, the, the calculator. Okay. And so, do you have that ability? Does the court have that ability to go above and beyond? Only if they find a deviation is warranted. And isn't the deviation um, warranted a, a great deal of the time? Well, it's brand new. Like it only went into effect like in June. So the legislature changed last September, you know, so 15 months ago. And then we only just started using the calculator. Okay, but the so calculator is so much more spousal maintenance than we ever saw judges give. Oh, well, that's interesting. So the spousal wow. for us, it's just the opposite. Wow. Okay. So the calculator is so less, so much really? less. Yeah. Than, yes. So that's probably the difference here. So yes. Um, you know, it, it, remember it's New York, 
right? Mm-hmm. And it's very expensive to live in mm-hmm. New York, certainly mm-hmm. in Manhattan and Westchester County and a lot of the other um, adjoining counties. And so, um, you know, given that and given the lifestyle that people are um, actually have had from for some for many, many years, um, the calculator would be way different. And there would be really a windfall, frankly, um, in terms of the other spouse, the moneyed spouse, okay, would be, get a huge windfall if the calculator was actually what was what was used. And wow. that's that is so interesting. And the reason this is really important is because sometimes people have options on where to file. Sometimes people get to choose, do I file in this jurisdiction or this jurisdiction? I could qualify for either. And you really want to know how each of these states treats every issue that is relevant to you. So that's true. Although I will say that we, you know, it's interesting. So sometimes even in New York, you have a different um, jurisdiction. Maybe you have a house, for example, out in the Hamptons and then an apartment in Manhattan, and you're going to decide whether or not you're going to, um, where you're going to file. But the courts are very careful now. And there was a case that came down about this, just this particular issue is, um, is what, um, where somebody actually resides, as opposed to what their weekend home is, for example, and they've decided to go out to Suffolk County, where they may be living very high, frankly, um, in terms of having a Hamptons house or something that's equivalent, a Montauk home or something, and then filing out there um, because they feel like they're going to get a better chance of paying less spousal support than they will in Manhattan. So the courts are very um, aware of that. And mm-hmm. I think that that's very important to actually Hmm. Yeah, that is so interesting. I know that this came up in Kelly Clarkson's divorce because she and her husband lived in Montana, but she ended up getting her divorce in California. And then I think she's paying something like $200,000 a month in child support for dad who has limited parenting time in Montana. <laughs> and had she done right. that planning in advance... When she also used to live in Montana, it probably would have been a very different number. Yep, that's that's correct. I want to go back because I want to read you the exact factor actually about the physical abuse. So acts that have inhibited or continue to inhibit a spouse's earning capacity or ability to obtain meaningful employment. That's one of the factors that we use. And that could be such as acts that could include physical abuse. And so that's a place, for example, that um, people actually look at that. And then, as I said, the other um, the other factors are the income and property that each party would get. So maybe somebody has a lot of separate property or a big inheritance. That could be a factor in determining spousal support for the other party. Um, the length of the marriage, the age and the health of the parties, the present and future earning capacity of both the parties, the need of one party to incur education or training expenses so that they could actually be able to work, um, the existence and the duration of a premarital cohabitation or a pre-divorce separate habitation. Acts that inhibited or continue to inhibit a spouse's earning capacity or ability to obtain meaningful employment, the ability of the spouse seeking maintenance to become self-supporting and how long any training would take, um, reduced or 
um, lost lifetime earning capacity of the spouse seeking maintenance as a result of having foregone or delayed education, um, training, employment, or career opportunities during the marriage, um, where the children live, the need to care for other for family members other the children other than the children, such as um, and I had talked about this adult children. Um, there may be children who have some um, challenges, etc. Stepchildren, elderly parents or in laws. Inability of a spouse to obtain meaningful employment due to age or absence from the workforce, um, a need to pay for exceptional additional expenses, tax consequences, um, the equitable distribution of the actual um, marital property, the contributions of each, each spouse, such as homemaker, wage earner, um, wasteful dissipation of mm-hmm. property, which is mm-hmm. also um, kind of may go to that financial abuse type of area. Right. If somebody was out gambling or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, drugs or um, other women or other men, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, that may be something that could be a consideration. Um, loans that actually have to take, you know, that took place without fair consideration. Somebody moved um, monies around um, the loss of health insurance, and then any other factor that the court finds to be just and proper. And so that any other factor could be very broad. So can I just ask in general, if you had to guess what percentage of someone's gross income they might be looking at for spousal maintenance, what might be a range that might happen? So when you say, ask me that question again, please. Sure. So um, what percentage of gross income might be ordered for maintenance? Perhaps a third. Um, It depends, but perhaps a third. I mean, in that range, that's a possibility. Okay. Um, It depends. It's not so much a percentage of the income as it is the lifestyle, right? That's really the the question. Did these people live a very high lifestyle? That is definitely one consideration. So, you know, as I said, New York is expensive. I have no idea what the lifestyle is in Arizona, but in Westchester County, for example, um, houses in certain areas are going to be in the many millions of dollars. And for someone to be able to afford a home for their family, um, it's going to be expensive. Rents in New York City, they are expensive. Um, you know, try getting a three-bedroom home in Manhattan. I mean, you are, you are going to be talking a great deal of money. And you may, so the court has to look at all of that, including the other responsibilities of the parent. Are they, are they paying for private school? Are they, what is the child support that's going to be ordered? Now, you know, after you figure out the spouse's support, remember, but now they are looking at that as income mm-hmm. to the other spouse. So there may be an adjustment for child support based upon that too. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um Very, very interesting. And so when you are doing, just to go to the property for a minute, so when you're doing an equitable distribution and you can prove some of these other factors, what type of a split might you expect the court to make? So I I usually start with thinking that something is going to be 50-50. Okay. Um, Because that is, you know, if you have a fairly long marriage and you have 
um, children, that's likely going to be the split. That being said, there could be separate property. Mm -hmm. There may be business um, business assets, and those are not necessarily 50-50. Those could really? be anywhere from 25% to 50%, which would wow. be very rare for the 50%. Um, it, you know, you're probably more like in the 25 to 35% for a person who is not titled to the business mm -hmm. and who has not worked in the business. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, perhaps the business existed before, Perhaps we're only talking about the appreciation of the business. I mean, these are such, um, there are such variations, which is why you need legal counsel, frankly, that is um, versed in all of this, because each and every case is really different. The, these are not cookie cutter situations, and you need to look at the various facts that are involved. Got it. Wonderful. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me and our listeners about financial abuse, spousal maintenance issues, property division issues. It's been fantastic. And we'll make sure that people have access to your information. You are licensed to practice in New York, New York. and Connecticut as well. Connecticut as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you were anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.